You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. On today's podcast, I'll be talking to Ed Lin, who is the author of five books and winner of three Asian American Literary Awards. His latest book, Ghost Month, is set in Taipei, Taiwan, and now he's on a whirlwind book tour. I'm so happy to have Ed here on Talking Taiwan. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Great. So as our listeners may or may not know, right now is the beginning of August, and it's actually considered the Ghost Month in Taiwan. So can you tell us a little bit about what the Ghost Month is and how it's related to your book? Well, Ghost Month, there are both uh, Taoist and Buddhist beliefs that hold that the seventh lunar month is when the gates to the underworld open and spirits wander all around Taiwan. And Taiwan's one of the most superstitious countries in the world. Sales of homes and new cars dip because people don't anger the spirits who, who may feel that it's a bit disrespectful to be making large capital purchases and may actually, you know, try to confiscate these cars and homes. One thing, it's important to appease your ancestors, that's for sure. But there are spirits that no longer have any living descendants or never had any descendants uh, to begin with. And these are very angry spirits. And these are the ones that you, you really definitely want to steer clear of. Oh, okay. So they actually come out during this month and cause havoc? Yeah, there's all these little things uh, you're not supposed to do. Like you're not supposed to have your laundry dry outside because they could become possessed by spirits. You're also supposed to avoid water. As Taiwan is an island and subjects many typhoons, many people have been killed in typhoons or mudslides uh, or in farmland. Uh, there's a lot of angry spirits that can pull you into the water. You're also not supposed to whistle because it attracts ghosts. How did this idea of the Ghost Month inspire your novel, and like, what does that have to do with this? You know, what your novel is about. Well, in the novel, the narrator he just found out that the girl that he had always planned to marry has been murdered, and of course, Ghost Month is a really bad time to die mm. while the gates of the world are open. So he, in his grief, he kind of wanders in this transitionary time, you know, in a lot of ways, he sort of wanders between the, the land of the living and the land of the dead mm. in a darkly comic kind of way mm. in, in his quest to find out what happened. Right, right. Wow. And so what kind of research did you do for the novel? Well, you know, I did a lot of reading, of course. Certainly talked to a lot of people. I visited Taiwan a number of times. I developed a source in organized crime. Oh. You know, the thing is about Taiwan, everybody is incredibly polite, even gangsters. You know? <laughs> it's true, you know. The very interesting thing is that I met this guy after midnight in a McDonald's, and uh, it was a little surreal talking to this man from organized crime in, in a McDonald's while he's drinking like a Sprite. <laughs> How did you get connected, or can you talk about that? That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'd rather not. Okay. <laughs> Got to protect your sources, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. And actually, I, I did look up some information about Ghost Month, and I see that the woman who was murdered in the book, she was actually a beetle nut girl. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Have you tried beetle nuts yourself? I have smelled them. I, I was not going to put it in my mouth. <laughs> Yeah. 
I can imagine what they taste like. That's enough for me. <laughs> that must have been interesting too, just to look at the whole beetle nut culture and um, about beetle nut girls and all that as well. Yeah, definitely. Great. And um, so this book being a sort of mystery and like there's a crime involved, um, I noticed that a lot of your books are also that kind of genre, like mysteries. And a lot of them feature this character, Robert Chow, a Chinese-American detective. What is it about the mystery genre that appeals so much to you? Well, see, the thing is, is about mysteries on the surface. It seems to be like a good person trying to capture a bad person. But uh, in a larger sense, it's it's really sort of a meditation on, you know, what makes good good and what makes bad bad. And the, the way I feel about it is that a lot of – there is a lot of crime that's not illegal, you know. Mm-hmm. I was watching this documentary on this woman, this single mom whose home was being foreclosed on by the bank. And over the years, she had paid in, I think, Eighty or ninety thousand dollars towards this house, and she missed about three payments. And that was when the the bank decided to foreclose on her. And then the bank ended up selling the house at auction, I think, for like thirty thousand wow. dollars. So that you know that was less than half of what the woman had put into the right. house. And uh, you know this is all perfectly legal, and yet that's a crime. So the thing is about the, the mystery genre, it's it really appeals to me to sort of think about what really is good and what's really bad, despite the legality, the actual legality of the thing. One of my inspirations is Chester Himes. Chester Himes wrote a number of detective books uh, mm-hmm. set in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are like pretty much hard-boiled novels on one level. But on another, he used it to talk about black America and issues and history and you know, just the culture, and uh, they are really a great series. Yeah, I can definitely see how you're influenced by that author because I've noticed that a lot of your books, especially the ones with the character uh, Robert Chow, are actually set in Chinatown. And knowing that you're a native New Yorker, did you actually grow up in New York's Chinatown? I did not, but I went through it very often. You know, I grew up in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and New York's Chinatown at the time primarily... Uh, in Manhattan, and my mother's from China, and my father's from Taiwan, and they don't speak Cantonese, uh, which was the primary mm-hmm. language of Chinatown at the time. But there was also about a, a, a stretch of a block in an alley that spoke Mandarin, mm-hmm. and they also had Yotel with the sweet uh, soy milk, which is a real Taiwanese kind of thing, and I remember right. going through there. But, you know, actually, as it is now, I don't think there's any place in Manhattan, Chinatown, to get that. Flushing is, is huge. Oh, Flushing yeah. is definitely bigger mm-hmm. than it used to be. I mean, it, the Flushing has always been a bit of a, you know, the, the Taiwanese sort of toehold in New York City. It's just that as of, uh, in recent decades, it's just really grown. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. And you're also a journalist, right? Um, what kind of subjects do you write about as a journalist? I'm an editor, so I don't write oh, things. I edit okay. things and I provide certain guidance. Uh, but it's uh, I've been in uh, business journalism. This is my 21st year in business journalism in terms of like public markets, stocks, equities, you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. 
So is there going to be a novel about like f financial markets or <laughs> anything like that in the Ab future? <laughs> absolutely not. No way. <laughs> I'll never do that. <laughs> so that's very interesting. So being um, an editor is very different from being a novelist. What is your approach when you're writing a book or preparing to write a book? You know, I think the first thing I do, even before I start doing research, I just try to find a, a voice. You know, I write I write in the first person, so I just try to think of a voice that would want to tell, you know, tell a story, just even in an oral kind of way. For me, that was, you know, just having someone just tell you a story, even if it's like a little joke or something. You know, the spoken word is, is a very powerful place to start. That's what I start with, a voice. And then I will just write probably about 1,000, 2,000 words or so just to see how it's going. And then I, I start doing a lot of research, maybe even thinking about people to talk to an interview. Uh, because my father was from Taiwan, mm -hmm. immediately there are two people I can ask about it, about the situation in Taiwan right there. Right. Right. So in terms of research for Taiwan, that was kind of in the bag for that one. Mm -hmm. It was definitely a lot harder writing about Chinatown in 1976. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, why? Just because it's a different time period, and it's just a little harder to track down people who sort of knew what was going on. And also, when I was writing about 1976, I really isolated myself at that time. I would get all these newspapers and magazines and only listen to music from 76 or before and watch movies from that time. And it was really striking because mm -hmm. in 1976 in New York City, when the, the city was teetering on bankruptcy, mm -hmm. uh, it was very similar to the time very recently of the recession. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Is there a yeah. particular reason why you chose 1976? Uh, for that time, it's a... It, it was a very transitionary time for Chinese America mm -hmm. and also for the United States as well. It was the mm -hmm. bicentennial year, but despite all the celebrating, we were still mired in Vietnam, you know, as a whole nation. Also, in 1976, it's when the former heads of, of the two different sides of the Chinese Civil War are dying off. Mm -hmm. So when Live was already dead, mm -hmm. Mao was on his deathbed, uh, Chiang Kai-shek had already died. Right. Then there's this question of who's going to have hegemony over the diasporic Chinese communities all over the world. Historically, the Kuomintang, you know, totally had an iron grip. But mm -hmm. in 1976, it seemed like it was slipping. Right. Taipei had already lost the seat in the UN to Beijing. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like it's about to lose formal diplomatic recognition of the U.S., uh, in fact, it did happen in 78 under right. Jimmy right. Carter. Right. Yeah. Right. But 76 was just a really transitionary time. Both allegiances were changing, and I thought it was a very interesting time yeah. to uh, set the book. Right. The books. Right. Yeah, definitely. You're what I consider a pretty seasoned author, having like five books. So, like, what advice would you have for aspiring authors or people who are thinking about writing their first book or going on this path? I say sit down and write. <laughs> I know it sounds really simple, but it's really the hardest thing in the world to do, is to just sit down and write. In addition to clearing the time that you need to write, you, you need to clear your mind as well. You know, writing a novel, it's a long game. It's not something you can do in like a month or a couple of months or even a year. 
you just have to be mentally prepared to sort of mark off time. I'm not saying write every day because that's not the real fruitful thing for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be for other people, but sure. you know, I'm just sticking to that schedule, you know, uh, and not letting things uh, interfere with it and holding the, the writing sacred, really. Just, right, just right. Finding your routine, you know, whatever just, that routine just is. Just get the writing done. People say, you know, read widely, but I say on top of that, you should live widely. You should do things that scare you and <laughs> uh, do, do things that, you know, scare other people too, just to, to, you know, really push the boundaries of whatever story you want to tell. Right. And so you're on this like whirlwind book tour now, right? Where are you where are you going off to? Because it sounds like you have a very busy schedule promoting this book. I don't know if it's that whirlwind. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just had the uh, the launch party on Friday at uh, the Taipei Cultural Center. Yeah, how was but, that? Uh, oh, it was awesome. You know, it was really great. It ended up being oversold a little bit. So I'm glad that the uh, fire marshal didn't swing by. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I really thought people would eat more. Or maybe they did, but there there was a lot of food left wow. over. It's a real bummer because it's really good food. After that, I'll be going to D.C., you know, to Berkeley, L.A., a couple of places there. Uh, I'll be going to Arizona. I'll be going to Scottsdale mm -hmm. at the store called The Poison Pen. Mm -hmm. uh, that is like one of the primary mystery bookstores in the Southwest. Uh, and then also to uh, Houston. Got family in Houston, so that's sure to be a little nuts. Yeah, right. Well, well, congratulations to you. Um, oh, you know, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Very and nice of you. Yeah, and where can people find or purchase your book? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, Come on, Amazon, no. of course, right? <laughs> At least. Well, Amazon, of course, but you know what? You should really support your local bookstore. Yeah. Because otherwise, I won't be able to go on a book tour. <laughs> You'll I mean, just be the guy standing in the street. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, you know, when you when you're buying something from Amazon, I mean, you do save the money, but the ultimate cost is that you make your local community less interesting. The, yeah. You end up giving Amazon more power. It's not like I'm anti-Amazon, but uh, it's it's the convenience of it is a little. I don't know. Maybe I'm no, just no. No, no. I hear school. what you're saying. I'm, Amazon has definitely changed the face of booksellers and publishing, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, it's, it's not so much Amazon did. Yeah. It's just everybody who buys stuff from them gives them a little bit of power, and collectively it's very strong. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in terms of the Amazon story, we're still in the beginning chapters of what's going to happen between that. There are a lot of um, pop stores that have really, you know, stuck it out well, and they found ways to do interesting and creative events mm -hmm. uh, in their in their store, and right. I, I really salute that. It's a great thing. Right. So do you have any appearances planned at any local bookstores in New York, or have you already had some? Well, I'm, I'm going to be going to the Kino Kunya bookstore in, in Midtown. Oh, it's yes, near, um, near Bryant Park, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, great. When are you going to be there? August 3rd, yeah, it's Saturday. It's oh, wow. Afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Everybody who's listening to the podcast, um, if you want to, if you're in New York and you want to catch Ed, um, you can catch him at the Kinokunya um, bookstore. Book book on August 30th. And I'll also be at Museum of Chinese and Americas on uh, September 4th, Thursday. I'll be in conversation with uh, the wonderful novelist, Alex Chi. Uh, you know what? I'm really sorry. Like, I saw, like, on Facebook, like, that you're a Tico and stuff. I'm like, how did I, like, miss that? 
Um, I think I was busy with something else because I had plans, but then I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry that I missed that because I would have totally been there. I didn't realize that, you know, you're um, going to be there for your launch and all that. So. No, it's okay. It sold out. It oversold anyway. Wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you, you could not have gotten in. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a number of friends who couldn't get in, you know. That's great. Because you, that's really yeah, great. Yeah, because you had to buy a ticket in advance. So, right. anyway. Yeah, no, and I saw that you were interviewed on NPR, and it looks like you're getting a lot of really good PR. It's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's still, you know, in the beginning here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you have a website yes. or social media you want to share with people if they want to find out about? Sure. Uh, people can find me in multiple places online. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm even on Instagram now. But my primary website is edlinforpresident.com. Great. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Oh, sure, sure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Talking Taiwan. This is your host, Felicia Lin. If you'd like to meet Ed Lin or to learn more about his latest book, Ghost Month, you can catch him in New York at the Kinokunya Bookstore near Bryant Park on August 30th and at the Museum of Chinese in America in Chinatown on September 4th. Until next time, you've been listening to Talking Taiwan. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.